Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. I want to ask you to turn over to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 20 of Acts, so we've been going through, you know, we've been going through the book of Acts and taking a look at um, the scripture all the way back uh, to the time, the last uh, moments that Jesus was here on the earth when he was preparing his disciples. And he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. You're going to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment on the day of Pentecost that the church was birthed, the church was launched. And then we've been looking at what's taken place in those months after that, or years after that, and how God was at work in our early brothers and sisters. And so we got through um, the book of Acts chapter 19, and then we curved over just a little bit to the right in our Bible, and we took a look at the book of Colossians. And we did that because in Acts chapter 18 and 19, Paul actually ran across a guy uh, who was from Ephesus, uh, who was actually in, uh, in the work um, in, in our Colossian brothers and sisters. And there Paul said, I just want to address a couple of things because there's some bad teaching that we need to fix. We come back to Acts chapter 20, and here in Acts chapter 20, what we're discovering from the Apostle Paul is that, it is that he is ending his missionary journeys. We've looked at three specific missionary journeys that Paul has been on. This one that we're in is the end of his third, and it would be his last missionary journey. But here Paul is wrapping up his time, and uh, we're going to take a look here in just a minute in Acts chapter 20 at what exactly Paul was saying at the end of his at the end of his missionary journey. But at the end of these missionary journeys, what we actually discover is the truth that we actually live out from time to time in our lives, where uh, we would say all good things must come to an end, right? We've, We've heard that. All good things must come to an end. It's probably not just all good things, but it's probably all things. Everything has to come to an end at some point. Have you ever had your favorite TV show come to an end? Do you remember what that actually did inside of you whenever that actually happened? And the end, the end of all ends is the end of your missionary journey. I mean, the end of your favorite TV show. I mean, I'm trying to talk and do two things. Just give me just a second because I can't do two things at once. Okay, now I've got it. Um, You know what it's like when your favorite TV show comes to an end? Or maybe there's something that you've been, um, you've been taking uh, several days and you've been watching on Netflix and you've been binging on this show and then you get to the end of this TV show and you're like, is there going to be another episode? And then you've got you've to Google it and find out, are they going to renew this TV show? And then you wait and then you wait and you wait and you wait and then you're finally, yes, they're going to renew the TV show and it's going to take a year and a half for them to film it and then get it actually to TV. And you've got to wait for the show to actually come out. One of the things that I was looking up this week was uh, the most watched TV finale of all time. Does anybody know what that actually is? No, it's not Friends. Nobody watched the TV show Friends. Nobody watched Friends. It was MASH. It was MASH. 
The most watched TV show finale of all time was MASH. Now, when my wife said that, or when I told my wife that, she said, like, did they just have like three channels back then or something? Like, that was the only thing you could watch, right? It was MASH or reruns. Um, and maybe that was true. Uh, MASH is one of my favorite, if not my favorite TV show of all time. Do you know what the second most watched TV finale of all time is? I don't know if I can say this in church, but I will. Cheers. It was Cheers. Uh, the third uh, was The Fugitive. Uh, fourth was Seinfeld. Seinfeld, and then to round out the top five, I guess people did watch Friends because it was actually Friends. Um, and yes, my wife did make me watch the uh, finale of Friends. I watched it because it was the finale, and I was excited that it was the finale. <laughs> hoping that they wouldn't pick up the reruns, and they have, anyway. Uh, but all good things must come to an end, right? And here, Paul's missionary journeys are coming to an end. And at the end of a finale on TV, they try at the very end to tie everything together. And so you get all of those clues of what you've been watching for years previously, and the writers, the producers, and the actors and actresses are trying to put a nice little bowl, uh, a bow on top of the finale and say, here, now I'm giving you all of the clues and here's everything. And so it's over with. And what Paul is doing in here uh, that we read about in Acts chapter 20 is exactly that. He's trying to wrap everything up with a bow, and he's trying to give us those final words as he's wrapping up his journeys. He knows that he's going to be going to prison, and he knows that he's going to have to give his life because of the spread of the gospel. What we've discovered in Acts in Paul's journeys uh, from the time that he actually met Barnabas and then he was spreading the gospel is everywhere he went, the enemy was at work trying to counter what the Apostle Paul was doing. And one of the things that I hope that you have gleaned from your walk with the Lord is when you are making progress in your walk with the Lord, the one thing that always happens is the enemy is going to do everything that he can to stop it. But what we get here from the Apostle Paul is in those moments that we've all experienced if we walk with the Lord from any time, as long as we fix our eyes on Jesus, and as long as we keep looking at Jesus Christ, then inside of us we have that boldness, the power that can sustain us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's read in Acts chapter 20. We're going to read all of this. It's a little much. But this is Paul's finale writing. We're going we're gonna to get some more from Paul here. But he knows that he's wrapping it up and he's giving us that nice little bow on his finale. Well, now Luke is writing this. If you remember about six weeks ago when Pastor Jordan uh, led us through Acts chapter 19, he, he noted for us that there's been a change in the penmanship here. And so we'll actually see that uh, Luke started it in the beginning and then we get a little bit from Paul in there. And then here there's, there's been just a little bit of a change. And so I want, you to, I want you to catch that. You'll see it as we read it. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, we'll stop there. Remember what, remember, remember what, what happened in Paul's life everywhere he went. There was an uproar because the enemy works to stop what God is always doing. 
You can't walk in relationship with God and not experience the counterwork of the enemy. And the thing that we have to remember is the enemy is a counterfeiter. He is not authentic. The enemy doesn't own anything. He doesn't operate in any way other than to counterfeit the work of God. And so what the enemy does is he always watches what God is doing, and then he works to counterfeit that, to work in an opposite way. And so whenever this chapter starts, we're reminded that the uproar that Paul had just experienced, the last one, because there was many, had just died down a little bit to give Paul the opportunity to begin moving again. We all experience that, so we'll keep going. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months, because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by oh, I turned too soon here. He was accompanied by um, Sopater, the son of Phyrus from Berea, Archistrus and Secundus from Thessaloniki, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychus from Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days." And so we see here Paul is beginning to go on some back routes, and we see some of the people that Paul has gathered in here. And what Paul is doing is he knows that he's going to go to prison. While he's in prison, at some point he's going to receive a death sentence, more than likely. And then he's gathering these people around him and, and visiting some cities. Of course, he's running from the persecution, but what he's doing is pouring into the lives of other people that are around him. This is Paul's season finale, or not his season finale, his series finale. He's here at the end, and he's making sure that everything that he wants to do, he's actually getting that in before he actually goes on to prison. And we'll see how he actually lays that out here. We're going to read in verse 7. Now watch what Paul is actually doing here. You'll see how Paul is really getting every minute in that he actually can. We may try this here at Whitechapel. Listen. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. You guys in for that? Like, like really, if you guys let me talk, I would probably talk till midnight. No? Nobody? There was one hand back there. Good. It's me and one other person, and none of my family on that one, but whatever. <laughs> Verse 8, he didn't stop at midnight. Watch what happens. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eucus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on. Now, we only go to about 11.15. And I can see everything up here that takes place. Some of you have lived out verse 9. In an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, sinking into a deep sleep. And I have lived what Paul did, talking on and on and on. So I, I get it. I get it. But I, I hope that I, I make light of those things because I hope that you can catch 
the realness of what's happening in the scripture here. The real life that Paul was actually living and those around Paul were actually living. The scripture is true. The scripture is a record of real events that actually happened. And one of the things that the enemy will always lie to us about is these are just stories that were actually made up. And one of the ways that we know that this is not just a story that's actually made up, but that Jesus is really who he said he actually was, is if you look at the lives of the disciples, and you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and every one of them, except for John, gave their life and were martyred because of the faith. Like, these were real events. Paul talked on and on and on and on until midnight. And somebody fell asleep in there. And we're catching a glimpse of the realness that took place here. Look at the end of verse 9. It says, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Here in these next verses, we're going to read and we're going to catch Paul's nice little bow on his series finale. He's saying, listen, this is what I've done. This is what Jesus has meant to me. And this is what I hope that you actually have gleaned from that. Verse 13, we're going to read through the end, so follow along if you would. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were to take Paul aboard. He made his arrangement because he was going there on foot. And when he met us, we took him aboard and we went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The next day, after we crossed over to Samos, and on, following, on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Mytilaeus, Paul sent, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, now listen to these words, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, which he bought with his own blood. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. For you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of all my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So here's Paul's finale. Here's the end of Paul's writing at the end of this third missionary journey when he is knowing that the Holy Spirit is actually leading him back to Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end, if you will, and Paul is moving fast. You can see that at the beginning where it lists all the specific towns and how fast they were going from different place to different place to different, different place. But what I want to point out to you here in what we glean from Acts chapter 20 is Paul is not an aimless wanderer. He's not just out running from the persecution. He's not just out there hiding from those who are trying to hunt him down. But instead, we find in verse number 22 that Paul is actually led by the Spirit. Because in verse 22, he says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm actually going to Jerusalem. But what is Paul's concern? What is it that Paul is so worried about? We, we catch it here at the end of Acts chapter 20, whenever Paul lays out this final letter, in this, or this final, what we catch in this final letter, in this meeting that Paul is having with the believers from Ephesus and those that Paul is actually gathering and mentoring to him. Paul is not concerned about his own safety. Paul's primary concern is not about his own life. Paul's primary concern is for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is reminding the believers is despite the persecution that comes and despite how the enemy will attack time and time again, we must be committed to our relationship with Jesus Christ every step of our journey. Paul is modeling that here for us. He's reminding the believers that are actually with him that he's drawn in to be around him in this moment. He's reminding those that he's actually mentoring. You have to be committed to your relationship with Jesus Christ. He's modeling that, and so the reminder for us is despite what's happening all around us, we have to first be committed to our relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's some debate about this. But I want to bring in a passage of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, the end of verse 1 and the end of uh, the beginning of verse 2. The author says, And let us not run with perseverance, or let us run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And really what Paul is doing here is, is, is exactly that right here. 
He's saying, I fixed my eyes on Jesus. Yes, they're going to come after me. Yes, I know that I'm going to end up in prison, and therefore I'll probably receive a death sentence. But I have this stirring from the Holy Spirit in me, and I'm not going to run and flee for my own life. I'm not going to seek my own safety. But because of the stirring of the Holy Spirit in me, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and the race or the mission that he actually has for me. But sometimes in the United States, in the American church today, one of the things that we often seek is our own comfort. I love living in the United States of America. I thank God that I was born in the United States of America and the freedoms that we enjoy. But you know, Sometimes we take these freedoms for granted that we actually have. And because we take these freedoms for granted, when we look at the future generations that are coming along behind us, that freedom that we've taken for granted that's been passed down, they, of course, are taking that for granted. Those freedoms that we experience because of where we live were not the same freedoms that Paul and his traveling companions actually had. They did not have religious freedom and being free from persecution the way that we actually do right here, right now. And because we take these freedoms for granted, whenever something happens, sometimes the first inkling inside of us is to just give up and to walk away from the faith. But what Paul is reminding those that have watched the persecution happen and some that have experienced the persecution and the beatings and the imprisonment. But Paul is also reminding us who have the, the blessing of these freedoms is we can't fix our eyes on the freedom. We can't fix our eyes on the comfort that's around us in the same way that they can't fix their eyes on the persecution, the beatings, and the imprisonment. Our eyes must be fixed on Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says, because he is the author or the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. Because it's the work of God in our lives that actually builds up our faith. And we try to do that so often on our own. We try to do everything we can in reading books and Googling different things and buying devotionals and all of those things, and those things are not bad, but what God wants us to do is to seek first Him and to keep our eyes on Him because it's in that relationship where our faith is built up. If you're trying to build your faith in a devotional book without the relationship of Jesus, the devotional book will never build your faith. If you're trying to build your faith with the latest great author or whatever else that you can try to use to build your faith and you're doing it outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, your faith will never be built. But instead, God uses those things in relationship with him to actually build up, to perfect and finish our faith. And that's what Paul is saying here in Acts chapter 20. We cannot be distracted by the things of the world, but instead we have to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the work that God actually requires of us to remain in relationship with him.
Have you ever seen people that are distracted? Have you ever driven down the road with a distracted driver who's on their cell phone? It happened to me on the way to church this morning. We're coming up Ridgewood, driving north from Port Orange on Ridgewood. There's a gentleman in front of me who's going very, very slow. And I think, oh, he's getting ready to turn. So he's gonna get out of the way very fast. He didn't. After a little bit of time, he just slows down and slows down, starts to veer off to the left. I get in the right lane, I go around him, and as I look, he's not paying one bit of attention to the road that's in front of him. But he's got his phone just like this, about a foot from his face, and he's looking at whatever was on his phone. Have you ever seen anybody distracted in that way? Whenever you're paying attention, whenever you're distracted when you're driving, you're missing the road in front of you, and there is danger ahead when you're not paying attention. The truth is, that's exactly what our walk with Jesus is like. Whenever we're distracted by whatever that is, and we're not paying attention to Jesus Christ, there is danger ahead because what we've said is, I'm not going to watch Jesus. Instead, I'm just going to do my own thing and hope for the best. Let me show you just a short video here of a few people that are distracted by their cell phones right into the side of the van. There's a wall there. He's on his cell phone, not paying a bit of attention. This one's my favorite. That's a fountain, right into the fountain because she was on her cell phone. There's stairs there, but he's on his cell phone. Do you know what? Whenever you're distracted, you miss the journey ahead. And why is it that we think it's okay to be distracted spiritually, and yet we come back to God and we complain about the journey ahead of us, right? We say, oh God, I can't believe all of this. And I think sometimes if we would listen to God, he would say, you know what? I was trying to lead you, however, you were distracted. What we see from Paul in verse 22 of Acts chapter 20 is Paul is saying to us, I am now compelled by the Spirit. I am driven by the Spirit. I have heard from God. I'm compelled by the Spirit, and I'm actually going to Jerusalem. So the one thing that I think Paul would say to us from Acts chapter 20 is that we have to eliminate the things that distract us from Jesus Christ. So what are some of the things that distract you. Like, like a cell phone whenever you're driving or a cell phone whenever you're walking. What are some of the things that actually distract you from Jesus? So I made a list of a couple of different things and I did just some quick Google searches online of some things that distract us in our culture from fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Paul has laid out some things here specifically for us, but some things that I think that we actually battle with, and the first one of those things is money. Now, the things that I'm going to mention to you are not bad things. They're things that are necessary in our life, and we can use them in a godly way, but these things also can be distractions from the enemy. The enemy can cause us to fix our minds on these 10 things that we'll go through fast this morning. 
instead of looking to Jesus Christ. And the first is actually money. Lots of money and the need of money can distract us from Jesus. You know, one thing that money causes us to do sometimes, it causes us to panic, causes us to have anxiety whenever there is a need for money. But you know what the promise of Jesus actually is from Matthew chapter 6? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 26, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, for the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But seek first the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus is saying? You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. When there is a need, a financial need in your life, we don't work harder to earn the money unless the Spirit stirs that inside of us to do that. We fix our eyes on Jesus and the way that Paul says, I've got this stirring from the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have this compellingness from the Holy Spirit that this is what I actually need to do. You know, despite what the economy does, the promise that we have in the Scripture is that God is going to take care of us as long as we fix our eyes on Jesus. But whenever we look instead to something else, then we've lost the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And whenever you're looking at money, a lot or a little, and you're not looking at Jesus, there's always going to be problems. One of the biggest distractions that you can have in your walk with the Lord is money. The second is media. What I mean by media is TV, internet, movies, music, video games, newspapers, magazines, and so forth. You know what the enemy will always try to do? He'll always try to put something in front of us to entertain us so that we forget about fixing our eyes on Jesus. One of the things that I challenged you to do last week or the week before, I forget which, I forget which that it was, was take a look at your screen time on your phone. See how much time you spend on your phone and compare that to the time that you actually spend with Jesus. And it's something that every one of us, me included, we, we have a hard time getting off of media and getting in the presence of God. But what Paul has said here is that we have to be committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ and looking to him first and not be caught in the entertainment side of things, but instead look to Jesus first. Now again, I say money is not a bad thing. Media is not a bad thing, but when it causes us to turn away from Jesus and fix our eyes on that, that's when the enemy has won the game. The third thing is religion. Religion. Do you know what one of the greatest lies of the enemy is? The enemy will lie to you and tell you that you've got to be a better Christian. The enemy will lie to you 
and he will put the bait in front of you that you've got to pray more. You've got to read your Bible more. You've got to give more money. You've got to do all of this stuff, and that's what's going to build your relationship with Jesus Christ. But what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 is if you seek first the kingdom of God, then all of these other things will actually come. You know, when you spend time in the presence of God and when you're looking at Jesus and your eyes are fixed on him, then you know what happens? Then you have a hunger inside of you to then read your Bible, to then spend more time in his presence and in prayer. And then what you will find is inside of your heart, you will then be given to give more to the causes of Jesus because you're in relationship Religion will not get you to Jesus, but relationship brings you closer to him every single time. And so what the enemy will always say is do this, do this, and do this, and then you will have a strong faith. But what the writer of Hebrews says is that a relationship with God is what instead builds our faith. And you know what? I'll go on. Number four. Number four, relationships. Relationship with other people. One of the things that we do so, so often is that we try to put people around us that are going to help us build our faith. But again, whenever we're doing that, what happens is we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we're starting to look to other people. And sure, other people are vital for encouraging us, but other people will not build our faith. Jesus is the one that builds our faith. And if we gather together here on Sunday morning and say, oh, I love going to that church because there's just awesome worship and that worship builds my faith. No, 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 no. What you've missed, it's the Spirit of God in that worship that is actually building your faith. Because we could sing these same songs absent the Spirit of God and what they'll be is great songs and a great worship band, but absent the Spirit of God, it doesn't build your faith. The same with the message. I cannot build anybody's faith. The Lord knows I'm doing everything I can just to work in my relationship with him so that he can build my faith. Nobody can build your faith. Jesus is the one that builds your faith. And it's only in relationship with him instead of in relationship with others that our faith is actually built. Now, we need each other. We were built to be together. That's, why, that's how God created us. We have to gather together on Sunday mornings. We have to spend time encouraging each other. But we do those things after we've spent time with our Father, the author, the perfecter, the, finish of our, the finisher of our faith. The fifth thing is our routine. A routine can distract you from Jesus. Because sometimes we think, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to fit all of this in. I'm so tied to the routine that we actually miss what God is, what God is actually doing. What Paul says here in Acts chapter 20 is, I'm going to set aside this journey that I'm on, the routine of going to these towns, and I'm going to spend time with God, and I instead, I'm going to let God actually lead me. And in the middle of this journey that Paul has already charted out and laid out, the Holy Spirit says to Paul, Paul, you've got to go to Jerusalem. So Paul ties everything up, and he does everything he can to go to Jerusalem. Oh, and in that, the Holy Spirit said, you're probably going to end up in jail, and you may be even giving your life. 
But Paul said, I'm not going to let the routine and the course that I have laid out dictate what I actually do. Instead, the routine submits itself to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that charts the routine for us. A routine can be a distraction. The sixth thing is our work. Our work. God created us for work. He gave us work to do. But our work can also be a distraction. Our work can drain us. Our relationship with God revives us. We have to have that relationship with God to actually build us, to restore our soul, as the psalmist says. A relationship with God, when we have our eyes fixed on Him, despite how hard the work is, despite how draining the work is, despite how taxing the work is, a relationship with God can restore us and allow us to go back into the work so that we are then walking in the presence of God every step of the way. But whenever we think, oh, I've just got to work a little bit harder, I've got to do just a little bit more in my job so that X, Y, or Z can happen. It causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus. And our work has a purpose as long as the Holy Spirit has guided us, but our work can also be a distraction. The next number seven I, I, I jotted down, I actually found this one online, um, but I jotted it down because I think it's true, our hobbies, our hobbies. Hobbies aren't bad. Hobbies can be a good thing for us. Hobbies can help us restore our soul as long as we're looking to Jesus. But our hobbies and our kids' hobbies can also be distractions in our walk with the Lord. What are some hobbies that you think, oh, this is such a good thing, I need this, but it's also a distraction for you? The next is chasing the blessing instead of chasing the one who wants to bless you. So often, we think, God, I just need this blessing. God, I just need more money. God, I just need a better car. God, I just need a bigger house. Or God, whatever, I just need this. And if you'll just bless me this time, then man, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to test us. Are we chasing the blessing of the moment for an emotional feel-good? or for a need to actually be met? Or are we chasing Jesus? Are we fixing our eyes on Jesus? The writer of Hebrews does not say, seek the blessing so that your faith in God will actually grow stronger. The writer of Hebrews says to us, chase God, fix your eyes on God. He does not mention anything else. Jesus, however, in Matthew chapter 6 did. He said, don't worry about money. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about any of that stuff. What he's saying is don't worry about the blessing, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the relationship with God, and then all of those other things are actually going to come to pass. So what if what if we didn't talk to God about the blessing and we just spent time with the one who desires to bless us to begin with? What would your faith look like at that point? Are you seeking the blessing? Or are you fixing your eyes on Jesus and the one who desires to bless you? 
Now, sometimes we've got to spend time praying about those things. We've got to wrestle with the Lord for those things. We have to have direction about those things. However, it comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't seek the blessing. We've got to seek the one who desires to actually bless us. The next is other people. Other people. I talked about this one a little bit in relationships. Um, But sometimes other people can actually distract us. Let's be honest. There are no perfect people in this world. There's only been one perfect human that's ever walked the face of this earth, and it was God who wrapped himself in flesh. No one else has ever been perfect. The Apostle Paul would even tell us the things that he wanted to do, he did not do. He wanted to do what was right, but instead the flesh sometimes got in the way and he failed. None of us are perfect. So what we have to stop doing is looking at each other and thinking, well, they messed up. Well, I may as well mess up too, because if they messed up, it's okay. Instead, what we have to say is, God, I don't want to mess up. I want to seek you and your righteousness. I want to grow in my faith. I want to be in relationship with you and seek more of him at every point in our life, despite what other people do. Because whenever we stand before Jesus, there's not going to be anybody else standing there saying, I died for them. I shed my blood for them, other than Jesus Christ. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And what Paul has reminded us here in his writing in Acts chapter 20, is it doesn't matter what other people do. There were some people who said that they were followers of Jesus who turned their back on, who turned their back on Paul himself. There were some people who said, I love Jesus, and they counteracted everything that Paul actually did and caused riots and beat him at one point and drug him out to the city gates and left him for dead. But Paul said, I don't have my eyes on those people. I have my eyes on Jesus Christ. And this is something that we have to overcome, a distraction that we have to overcome. And the last one, I've saved intentionally for the last. One of the biggest distractions for us sometimes can be ourself. We think that we deserve to define who we actually are. We think that we can place labels on ourselves, but yet we forget that we are not who we say we are. We instead are defined by God Himself. And when God looks at you, He does not look at you in any other way than through the blood of Jesus Christ. When God sees you, Because he came and died for you, shed his own blood for you, and then arose to defeat the consequence of the sin that we have walked in, when God looks at you, he sees you as his son or his daughter, as an heir to all things that are his. And we cannot allow ourselves and the self-talk inside of us to distract us from growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because the enemy will always say, you don't deserve it, and we don't. The enemy will always say, well, you messed up, and we do. The enemy will say to us, you may as well give up. But whenever your eyes are looking at Jesus Christ, whenever we fix our eyes on him, and we're not looking at the mirror of self, what we see is who God actually says that we are. Now, I've given you 10 distractions this morning, but I could be like Paul and I could go on till midnight, and then I could go on until the sun came back up, just with the distractions that are in our life. What we have to do is we have to look to Jesus and ask him, what distractions do I have in my life? You know, several months ago, I was wrestling with the Lord. It was back May-ish, April-ish, something like that. I was wrestling with the Lord of what he actually, what he actually has for us here at Whitechapel and Warner Christian Academy and our in our thrift store and out of this ministry and really where he's leading us and what it is that he actually desires for us. I celebrated and worship with him some of the things that this ministry over the last number of years has overcome and some of the attacks that the enemy actually had for us. And one of the things the enemy or one of the things that the Lord said to me would be the way the enemy attacks in the next wave It'll, it'll be by unnecessary distractions. And I want you to catch that. Because it's not just true in the life of this church, but it's true in the lives of every single one of us. The enemy will attack with unnecessary distractions in our life. In this ministry, the Lord has said, this is the next wave of how the enemy is going to attack. And so we have to be aware for those unnecessary distractions that cause us to turn away from our mission to then focus on the immediate. That is a distraction. But whenever we're looking at Jesus, it's like the, the hymn says, if you turn your eyes on Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim. Because we're not looking at those things. We're looking at Jesus. But it's true in our life as well. The enemy will attack us with unnecessary distractions. So what are they in your life? What are those unnecessary distractions that you have in your life? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.